Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. All right, so let's get started. I am here today with Michael Guess, who is Director of Operations at VentureLink, um, and David Sober, VP of Business Development, and Brent Stokes, who is the President of VentureLink. And they're here to present um, information today about third-party risk and regulatory So um, with that, I'm going to pass it off to Michael. Just want to let everybody know that lines are muted. If you have any questions, please drop them in the chat. Most importantly, all of you should see a special offer that VentureLink is um, providing to all of our registrants today in the chat. Can everybody see that? Raise your hand. Let me know. But the special offer is that they are offering two free info security policy risk assessments and two free financial and business health risk assessments to webinar attendees. TMC members get that in addition to 10% or more on additional services. So uh, after the call, please please reach out to David Sober. I will also provide this information in my follow-up email tomorrow with the links, the presentation desk, deck, and um, David's contact information. So with that, sorry, I will pass it on to Michael Guest. Thanks again, everybody. And Michael, stage is yours. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hello and welcome to everyone. Uh, it's great to see everyone here today. My name is Michael Guess. I'm Director of Operations and uh, Senior Analyst at VentureLink. Uh, as uh, Amy mentioned, I also have David Sober with us here today. And I also, of course, especially want to thank the Mortgage Collaborative for help, helping to host this um, webinar. Um, as Amy mentioned, if you do have any questions at the end, feel free to drop them in the chat and, and we'll take a look at them at the end. Um, so today we're going to talk about vendor risk management, uh, aka you know managing your vendors for risk, and we're going to look at some of the risks the companies face, um, how they're managed, what I like to call the hidden supply chain, uh, and we'll also look at some solutions and best practices uh, that we've observed or have advised clients on. Um, Third-party risk management is all about managing the risk in that business relationship. I think these days it's become pretty blasé to review the same forms over and over again. You get inundated with material or maybe no material uh, that we forget that there are real risks anytime you rely on someone else to perform a task or a service. Risk to your company can be numerous. Um, and we've tried to distill a couple of those down here as well, um, financial, cybersecurity, information security risks, uh, reputational, and along with that, loss of business uh, in terms of customers. Uh, Historically, the primary concern has been business health, right? We saw that, you know, for most of the 20th century, business health was a big component of of how risk was thought of. Um, And we saw that evolve into institutional risk here in the Great Recession a few years ago. But now we're looking at cybersecurity risk. And certainly business and financial indicators remain a critical part of the equation. But as companies rely on the internet just to do business, um, the risks keep growing. Maybe that's a mortgage processing software that you're relying on or ID verification tool, or maybe you're offshoring underwriting or, or something like that. It's all possible because of the internet. And unfortunately, we have bad actors out there that have figured a lot of these things out and they've worked to exploit that. And at first we saw phishing attacks uh, be very commonplace. And as companies have adapted to that, 
you know, identifying fraudulent domains and other things like that to help block those attempts, uh, they're getting more creative with how they can cause damage to your company and take advantage of that. Um, we've all probably heard about Equifax and that hack. Uh, oops, excuse me. Um, as well as um, Target, Home Depot. Um, these are some hacks that have happened a number of years ago now. Uh, but we also know some more about how their behavior is changing things. Larry Pullman of the Pullman Institute has studied these and other hacks and found that it takes an average of 280 days for a company to discover and contain a hack, which is really incredible when you think about it. That's a very long time for a bad actor to be rummaging around in your system, uh, taking data or doing something with it perhaps, um, and without even noticing it. And what's even scarier, about 60% of businesses that experience a serious cybersecurity incident end up going out of business. And part of that is because of the cost. The average cost of a data breach is about $4 million. Um, and as you can imagine, insurance companies have figured a lot of these out. And I think the average cost of a record of personally identifiable information record, a PII record, is about two to $300 per record. So that really quickly balloons when you're dealing with thousands of people or tens of thousands or even millions of records. That's where you get some of these big numbers from. Cybersecurity incidents are becoming much more serious cybercrime incidents. Uh, in 2020, we saw solar winds, um, which was basically espionage. Um, we saw, I think it was Russian groups or, or groups associated with the Russian government associated trying to exploit the SolarWinds update software, uh, which basically allowed them to create backdoors into all kinds of different companies to get information, whether it was government or other businesses across the United States and abroad. Um, more recently, we've also had the Colonial Pipeline attack at, and JBS, just I think a couple weeks ago now. Uh, the Colonial Pipeline uh, attack helped push the Department of Justice. I think this just came out uh, about a week ago. Uh, they're establishing a special task force now to deal with ransomware attacks. And they're setting it up similar to how they deal with terrorism. And they're making the disclosure of ransomware attacks mandatory. Uh, so they can track, identify, and hopefully shut down some of these groups. Um, one interesting thing about the Colonial Pipeline attack was that the, the group didn't actually shut down the, the company's operations. They didn't shut down the pipeline. The company shut down the pipeline. And the reason for that was because the hackers actually uh, were able to encrypt and take advantage of their billing system. And so the company didn't want to hand out free fuel so they shut down the pipeline until they could deal with their pipeline or their billing system. Uh, and that was because their billing system had open ports and uh, leaked credentials on the dark web and other things like that that made that breach possible. And, you know, in case you're thinking, well, you know, my systems are pretty secure. I don't have anything to worry about. Uh, there's, you know, 
not so much of an issue with that for me. Well, there's you know a small uh, electronics uh, hardware company in Taiwan called Quanta, uh, Quanta Computer. They were a victim of a ransomware attack back in April. And what happened for them was they their systems were compromised, but these hack, this hacker group had actually been around rummaging around in their system and actually exfiltrated data. As I mentioned, the companies are, these groups are starting to evolve as, as we've started evolving to deal with them. They actually took data before they locked up their systems. And why they did that? Well, it turned out that Quanta is actually a major supplier for Apple. And so they took engineering specs from Quanta and then, you know, after the company figured, dealt with the initial hack um, with this group, this, excuse me, this group, I think it was called uh, Revel or Revel, um, they actually then threatened, say, pay us $50 million or we're going to start releasing Apple specs onto the internet every week. And so now an issue for this small hardware maker in Taiwan now suddenly became Apple's problem, Right. So now you kind of get to see a little bit about how these small incidents uh, with an, a supplier of Apple suddenly impacts Apple themselves. Um, and so the point is that companies often trust third-party vendors with data. Maybe it's top trade secret data, like in the case of Quanta, or more likely in what you, most of you probably deal with, it's more likely consumer data. Um, and so they're finding different ways to disrupt and monetize their efforts. Um, and that's just something that as we all are interconnected, that's something we all have to be aware of. <clears throat> now, this is probably the least fun slide in, my whole, in this whole presentation. So I apologize about that. But I did want to bring it up because there are some important pieces here that you guys need to probably be aware of. Now, uh, most of these that I've listed here, I think all of them actually are all being pushed out by the OCC. Um, and the first one's probably the most notable one, that's 2013-29. And that explicitly covers third-party risk and how financial institutions need to undertake uh, reasonable risk mitigation and due diligence practices. These other ones in there, 2017, 2020-10, 2017-43, uh, and even 2020, 94, they're either corrections or additions to the main one, which is 2013-29. But I did want to highlight one new one. Uh, new, it was came out earlier at the beginning of this year, 2021-3. And uh, I think the comment period has now ended on it. But basically what this one is, is it is a notice of proposed rulemaking in this case that if an entity has a cybersecurity incident that they need to notify their regulator promptly. And by that, they mean within 36 hours of the incident taking place. Um, and if it Im impacts or degrades their systems for more than four hours, they have to publicly notify their customers uh, about this event. Um, so this is an effort by an OCC to say you have to notify your regulator, maybe that's CFPB or the OCC, whomever it might be, notify your primary regulator about a cybersecurity incident 
And then you combine that with what we see just the other day with the Department of Justice saying you have to tell us about these different these different uh, hacks that you might be exposed to is all part of a government effort that's coming about to create more transparency around uh, ransomware and other cybersecurity attacks. Because a lot of times, a lot of these different companies have managed to kind of deal with these things quietly. I mentioned, you know, for the companies that can afford to do it, they'll pay the ransom or they'll do something like that, or they'll rely on their backup systems if they have them. uh, And they'll just kind of sweep the matter under the rug. Um, But now we're seeing a a more concerted effort by the government to actually uh, be more transparent, to track this stuff and to hopefully kind of shut some of these different things down. So that's something that we're seeing starting to change. And I think if there's a lot of, uh, updates for this in terms of if there's a lot of uh, feedback that the OCC and other regulators get, that everyone's getting hacked and things like that, you can imagine there's going to be more regulations related to this part of, uh, of your business that's going to come down as a result of that. <clears throat> so where does that leave us? Um, by and large, you know, companies have relied on everyone's favorite, the questionnaire. It's safe. Um, it's in writing. It's something compliance can say, oh, this meets some regulatory requirement. Case closed. Um, you know, how many people have actually seen a pre-written questionnaire or a pre-written response from their vendor? Or maybe seen am- answers that seem really smoothly written and as if, and if you read it really closely, you realize they didn't really even answer the question. Uh, I think we all have probably seen things like that. Is it believable? Well, maybe 50-50, right? These are often written to earn approval. Um, so of course they're biased, um, you know, and typically how have most companies responded? Well, we asked for paperwork, let's back that up. Um, but that creates another kind of problem for people, right? Some documents can be highly technical and that can make it really hard for, you know, someone in the vendor management uh, department to, to know what they're seeing if that lines up. Is it a good thing? Is it bad? They sent me a SOC 1 report. That's the same as a SOC 2 type 2, right? Uh, what's the difference, really? Um, and there is one, right? Um, to top it off, I believe even the largest companies may only have a half dozen. I think I've, I've heard it's, yeah, it's about a half dozen or so people working in vendor management or maybe a little more. Uh, some companies just maybe have one or two uh, or maybe no dedicated person at all. Um, and when you take on annual reviews or other diligence efforts, combined with an ever-changing nature of some relationships, uh, that the data they may have access to, the risks they may be posing, suddenly that kind of stuff becomes overwhelming. If that wasn't enough, I do want to take a step back and take a look at the bigger picture. And what we've laid out, which I think many of us you know, probably know pretty well, is I want to turn your attention to something that we like to call the hidden supply chain. And what do I mean by this? This is your fourth, fifth, maybe your nth party risk. Um, these are your vendors' vendors, basically, right? Um, this is where we get to see how complicated and interconnected we all are. 
Most businesses use Microsoft Office. I mean, can you imagine what happens if OneDrive went down or, or Office or something, even for a few minutes or an hour? Uh, I mean, that's basically kind of what happened with SolarWinds. It was a server that like a lot of companies used. It was in the background, and suddenly all these backdoors were created for a hacking group. Um, and you know, how do you take secure? How do these all these different companies take security seriously? How do you how do you mitigate this? Right? There's a lot of that becomes a real challenge, right? It's just so many, it explodes. Uh, you get suddenly hundreds or even thousands of companies that are tied to your company and you don't even know it. So what can you do? So there's some basic things. First, you know, I'd recommend working in language into your uh, into your contracts, um, requiring the disclosure of vendors or some kind of language for your vendors uh, to ensure that they'll meet your security requirements or perhaps an approval mechanism that if they subcontract that, in fact, you be notified. And that really should be happening at the procurement level. That should be part of the bid. Or maybe you already have an agreement with them, work that into the renewal. And if they can't or are not willing to agree to those kind of terms, and that also will tell you something about your vendor in terms of how much risk they're willing to take with regards to their own vendors themselves. Uh, another tool that we've recommended people using is continuous monitoring. And, you know, and there are a lot of different providers out there that can do some of those kinds of things. Um, but it gives you an assessment anyway, at least on the cybersecurity side, of what their digital presence is like, uh, what kind of vulnerabilities they may have. And also, and there's also business and financial monitoring as well that you can be expanded to those kinds of groups too. So, you know, I touched on um, continuous monitoring and, you know, I've got a few more slides to go today, but um, I did want to mention something a little more robust. Um, and that is, you know, a lot of companies, if they do use continuous monitoring, or maybe they use more traditional kind of passive monitoring, right? When they just kind of send out the questionnaire and they get their document dumped back and then they kind of review all of that. Uh, but there's another one that's called active monitoring. And this is basically a risk-based approach. And this is different uh, in that, in a nutshell, it kind of combines the continuous monitoring approach uh, along and the passive monitoring approach with the combination of actually going out and asking risk-based questions um, of your vendors. It does require typically a good engagement with your line managers uh, and how they handle procurement or, or whomever might handle procurement in your organization. Um, you know, if perhaps a company was contracted to do uh, a particular function um, maybe they were to scrub names or do something like that. And now suddenly one of your managers said, well, let's have them do you know, data birth verification or something like that. Now suddenly you've added something significant to their, um, to their task and to that relationship that perhaps originally, when they were originally vetted, that was not something that was in, under consideration. Uh, and that's qualitatively different. You know, now you're sending personal information over the internet, perhaps, um, to this third party. They're getting it. They're sending it back. Um, 
And so that creates a possibility that, you know, someone could get access to that. And guess what? You're JP Morgan Chase. And now suddenly some company that get, gets hacked is sitting on a whole bunch of JP Morgan Chase customer data. Right. Um, and you may even have situations where that vendor, maybe they have related entities. They have a parent company or they subcontract that out. And those parties may have access to that data storage as well. Um, so those kind of things you need to be mindful about and you have to be, pay attention to. And that's something that we all have to kind of look at. And that's why you really want to have subject matter experts help review your documentation, looking at business continuity plans, disaster recovery, information security, IT risks. Um, some of it can be very technical um, and you, you want someone that actually kind of knows what they're looking at when they see it. Um, you know, uh, for example, you know, maybe they've got insurance. Great. Is it just general insurance? Is it actual professional insurance? Does it cover crime? Does it cover cyber issues? Um, not all cyber policies, for example, cover everything, right? Some cyber policies, for example, may not cover any ransom if you decided to pay it, for example. Uh, maybe they'll cover some things, but not others. So even those kind of events, uh, you might have a policy, but it may not be complete. Um, so all of those kind of things are really important to look at. Do they have a whole bunch of CFPB complaints? You know, that's another important thing. Do you still want to be doing business with them as a result of that? Uh, I mentioned SOC reports. You know, they give you a SOC 1 report. You know, that's just financial reporting and how you handle financial data. Um, SOC 2, type 1, that's a policy document. SOC 2, type 2, that was the gold standard because that one looks at not just, uh, not just what their infra data security policies are, uh, which is what a SOC 2 report covers, but also looks at how they do it in practice over, I think, six months typically. So that the difference between the SOC 2 type 1 is here's, are they talking the talk? SOC 2 type 2, are they walking the walk, right? So they're qualitatively different in, in their value. And if they're able to produce that, um, that's another good sign uh, of how well they're, they may be taking their own cybersecurity. Um, but there's all kinds of different tools that we can look at. Um, and these kinds of things, when we take a look at all of these different metrics and areas, they really help paint a better picture of how that vendor operates and uh, the risks they may pose to you. Um, so best practices and some takeaways. So as I mentioned, you know, mitigate your risk at you, as much as you can at procurement. Try and set the stage right from the beginning of your relationship by getting those things out of the way, making sure that their suppliers are gonna be meeting your standards. I mentioned insurance, cyber insurance, not always the same, right? Business continuity plans, disaster recovery, of course, they should include a secure offsite backup in the case of ransomware of your systems or data. Another forgotten thing to look for is do they have appropriate, and this goes for yourselves too, do you have appropriate legal representation as part of your disaster recovery plan? When you're dealing with ransomware or other cyber criminals, for example, you wanna have someone who actually knows something about that, to be legally representing you in those matters, 
they can go out there. They know the kinds of questions and the kinds of things to ask, the things to look for, how to make sure, for example, that you're getting, you know, if they say, oh yeah, I wiped the data, you need to get the receipts, quite literally in some cases, that they have done that. Um, so that way they don't come back like with Quanta and try and, you know, blackmail you again, um, even after you got left, you, they, you paid the, the cost. For example, if you were to do that, they say not to do it, by the way. Um, but even if you were to do that, you pay the cost, they unlock your system. Great. But now they hit you again. They say, well, guess what? I, you know, I was in your system. I stole all this data. Do you want it? Or should I just release it <laughs> or whatever? And, and now suddenly you're on the hook again. Um, another thing we recommend doing is if you don't do it already, uh, making sure you properly categorize your vendors um, that into different tiers. We find that's really helpful to prioritizing your efforts. Um, we look at generally three tiers is what we, we promote. Um, tier one is basically, you know, they're sending and receiving personal identifiable information. So this is, you know, kind of social security, date of birth, that kind of information. And or they're a business critical vendor. What's a business critical vendor? These are vendors that deal with core functions of the business. Perhaps they're a critical system or an application. Um, another one that's often overlooked is that's part of a business critical vendor is if they have a significant customer impact, right? Um, maybe it's not a critical system, but it's a front-end system that if it goes down, all your customers are going to have problems. Um, you know, at that point, it becomes a reputational issue, right? Um, maybe they're cross-functional services, right? You've got multiple departments relying on the same vendor for, for things. Um, maybe there are other third parties that are not easily replaceable. You know? There's only so many companies that do certain things. Uh, you know, I think, I don't know that Ellie Mae is like, Huge portion of the industry relies on that software. There's other things like that where they're not easily replaceable. Um, or perhaps there are no manual workarounds for that particular vendor. Uh, maybe you've offshored underwriting and you know, you've got a thousand people in some other country that are doing your underwriting and you've got 20 guys in your office that are managing it. Well, if something happened with that vendor, you know, you got thousands of loans coming your way all the way back. Can your 10 people handle it? <laughs> Probably not, right? Um, so are they a business critical vendor? And that's kind of what I mean by that. Tier two, these are important or essential vendors. They have an important role in the company, um, but they don't necessarily, they don't rise to a tier one. And then there's your tier three, which are generally your non-essential vendors. Um, tier two and tier one vendors, they should be, it, you know, tier one certainly should be getting an annual review. Tier two as well should be as well. Tier one, you may also want to do something more frequently than that, maybe like a quarterly or semi-annual review, depending on that relationship. Um, and having a good line of communication with your, with the, your line managers and the contract owners, if that's how it's, your company's organized, or if you have a dedicated procurement department, um, Knowing kind of what, what they're doing, uh, what's that relationship like? Is it changing? Um, you know, when you look at, when you do these annual reviews, that's about comparing what did we sign them up for versus what they're doing today? Is it basically the same? Um, are they still 
meeting the same standards we need them to be meeting. Um, but depending on the nature of that business, maybe you have an IT vendor and they do all kinds of work for you. Um, they will do all kinds of development work and now suddenly they're touching stuff that is maybe very private um, for the company and, and creates a risk uh, for them to have access to it. Um, so, um, whoops. So I did want to take a minute here and hand it off to, to David Sober um, for a few minutes and talk for but here, David. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, appreciate the information. And you know, really, unsurprisingly, I guess this is where I swoop in to tell you, as Michael outlined, all of the risks and some of the mitigations for what might be best practices in our industry or really any other industry that relies on third parties to handle sensitive information or customer critical issues. Uh, it's my duty to tell you that VentureLink has a solution for all that stuff, uh, we can either be a fully outsourced vendor risk management department or offer component services a la carte. Really, I think that the point we want to convey here is that we can address any and all of the issues that Michael talked about. We are uh, we view ourselves as a consultancy much more so than a software as a, a software as a service provider that may come in and sort of manage workflow or vendor questionnaires. We, we are actually the group that, as we like to say around here, are, are gonna go out and do the work and trust but verify that your third-party vendors are, are coming back to you with accurate information. And more importantly, you know that your data isn't exposed to potential risk that would jeopardize your business at the end of the day. And we do that through a series of services, uh, including ongoing daily monitoring for both cybersecurity risk, where we leverage a team of you know, industry best consultants with a diverse background, largely ex-military. Uh, we also offer financial and business health monitoring services on, on an ongoing basis. So unbeknownst to you, one of your vendors just laid off a third of their workforce because they lost a top client. Now you have some issues around potential capacity or their financial well-being. Uh, we're going to track that flag that and notify you right away. And all these reports from these daily monitoring services are, are easily digestible, actionable. You're not just getting a binder full of raw data. You're going to get an actual, okay, vendor three has this risk exposure for your daily business model, and here's what to do to mitigate it. And we're going to review that with you on an ongoing, regular basis. And of course, we also offer the single reviews, whether that's a new vendor that's coming into your panel. Hey, we just hired a new appraisal management company. Uh, we need to make sure that they have their SOC 2 type 2 and uh, a physical security plan and a clean desk policy and all that other stuff that might go under your uh, standard questionnaire. We're going to, again, trust but verify the responses that come back from that. Uh, and we're also going to do our own level of analysis and, and same for doing all of that uh, regular review, whether it's annual, semi-annual, or quarterly, depending on how you do your own risk assessments and risk weightings for, for your vendor panel, will help with all that. And, and again, lastly, I think the point we want to convey here is we're here to help you. We're, we're consultants. We'll work with you. Michael walked through some of the industry best practices. A lot of what we'll do is sit down with, with you guys and, and, and learn about your business to, to lay out a framework that makes sense for you all. We, we can do a lot. We can do daily monitoring all the way down to, as, as Michael put it, the nth vendor. Uh, so again, using the example of an appraisal management company, not just checking 
their data out, but actually doing cyber monitoring all the way down to their field appraisers uh, and, and any other vendor beneath that we have a capability. We can help you put a framework in that makes sense for you. And we're here to listen and help. So that, that's really the message we want to convey here. We're, we're a team of experts. Michael and his team really know the space. And ultimately, the goal is to free up your vendor risk management department to focus on what they do best. We, we hear so often, hey, our guys are working 70, 80, 90 hour weeks, but they're still not, you know, focused on the stuff that really directly impacts the business the most. Or we just don't have cybersecurity experts, for example. We can help. I mean, we're, we're really flexible in, in the way we structure our business and we offer this full menu of, of services that can be available as needed. So that's the message we want to convey. Uh, certainly want to let you all know here that we are you know, the, the experts in the field and, and we're here to serve you. And uh, of course, we're thrilled to be part of the Mortgage Collaborative. We're thrilled to get to know uh, the Mortgage Collaborative's members and, and do some business together. And you know, thank you so much for joining us, uh, of course, as Amy led off with. We are doing a promotion for Mortgage Collaborative members and, and folks who took time out of their day to sit here and listen to us talk about this stuff. We are going to offer two free risk reviews, both financial and business health risk review and uh, a cybersecurity review. So, um, yeah, looking forward to getting to know all of you. Hopefully this was helpful. And, and now we'd love to open it up for Q&A if anyone has anything they want to talk about. Thank you so much, David. Um, a great offer and, and Michael, awesome information. We're so happy to have you as a new partner of our network. Um, so Tammy put a question in the chat. I don't know if you guys can see it. It says, does your solution identify fourth, fifth, and vendors for third tier vendors? Yes, on the monitoring piece, we are monitoring. So when I say monitoring, I mean that ongoing daily or at least regular monitoring. We are monitoring down to uh, those deep, deep tiers of, of vendors. Okay, and uh, we do have a couple other questions coming in, but if anybody else wants to pop some into the chat, now would be the time. Um, another one here, David, please explain why I should be concerned about the vendors of my vendors. Isn't that extreme? I'll let Michael take that one. Okay. You want me to take that one? Okay. Um, well, you know, as I mentioned, you can see all these different connections uh, with your vendors. When, you know, you have third-party vendors that uh, you do business with, but they have their own set of vendors. And, you know, when we saw, for example, like with Quanta um, and, and, and other examples out there where, you know, hackers are figuring out what these relationships are. They have a lot of time to be, you know, if they are able to, to get through your security, as I mentioned, they might be spending, you know, hundreds of days actually just rummaging around. They're learning about your business. They know who's important. They know what you're doing. And that's something that soon enough, they'll figure out, oh, these guys are connected with so-and-so and that company, you know, I know is connected with Apple or with Wells Fargo or with some other big company. Um, and they'll figure out ways to, for example, like the SolarWinds, they'll dump some hack into their update or they'll do something on the back end. And now suddenly all of these other vendors, SolarWinds is the perfect example really of, of that where you have this fourth or fifth tier vendor to a lot of companies. 
where you know the software of another maker is maybe they're using it, um, they're relying on it as part of their systems, and now suddenly it's just exploded in terms of how many different people are actually affected by it. Um, so you know having the tools and, and it's something that that we do have. Uh, we can look at your fourth or fifth tier vendors um, or fourth or fifth party vendors, I should say, and just have a better idea of what's their cybersecurity kind of policy at or uh, scores. How are they really doing? Um, is there an issue here? Because when you stop and look at that, I mean, you start to see hundreds or thousands of vendors that are actually connected to you when you actually take a step back and look at all of these connections. And, and how many of them are interconnected even? And that's another thing when we look at and we talk about fourth or fifth tier vendors, um, you know, like Microsoft, for example, you know, they're your third party vendor, but they're also your vendor's third party vendor. And now they're, you know, how many people use Microsoft Office uh, or use a Microsoft product or use Azure or whatever it might be. Uh, suddenly everyone is perhaps exposed to that. So, you know, having the tools to look at that is really important. Um, and it helps you see how things are interconnected and where your weak points are in your supply chain. And you can take steps to hopefully mitigate that. Um, you know, maybe you deal with insurance or change something how you deal with that, or you put new requirements on your vendor's vendor, especially when you see that they've got a lot of maybe risky vendor relationships themselves, and you want to nip that in the bud now before it becomes a risk to you. Thanks, Michael. Brent popped a, a statistic in the chat. Um, oh, it is for attendees now. According to the Ponemon, Ponemon Institute, 63% yeah, yeah. of, of data breaches start with a vendor of the victim company. Um, and we've got another call, uh, question in here too for you. Will vendor risk and cyber assessment management services carry over if I have an existing vendor that is acquired by another entity? How does that process work under a new entity? Will vendor risk and cyber assessment management services carry over if I have an existing vendor that is acquired by another entity? I'll jump in. Oh, so, yeah. I'll jump in and answer that. Uh, it goes back to a point that Michael made during the presentation. <clears throat> uh, a lot of that is governed by the type of contract that you as the, the lender, the vendor manager put in place with the actual uh, vendor. <clears throat> so uh, there, that sort of uh, assignment of future responsibility and uh, responsibility relating to risk, uh, all of that needs to be covered at the beginning when you are uh, doing your assessment of the vendor and in the actual contract um, itself. <clears throat> so the, the answer uh, to that question specifically lies within what are the terms of your service agreements uh, with your vendors? Uh, that answer could be different for each um, contract that you have with each of the vendors, hopefully, um, which I'm sure there's some sort of template agreement that you may be using, but definitely if you're not using one for each vendor, then 
then absolutely that answer is based on each individual agreement that you have with each new, with each vendor. Thank you, Brent. Um, another one here for you, what existing or pending regulation should I be most concerned about and why? Um, well, I think, you know, I mentioned, um, I like that one. Um, you know, the, the most recent one that I highlighted was the cybersecurity uh, one, the 2021-3. Um, to me, uh, when I look at that, it looks like you're starting to see the government, the United States government, take a much more serious look at ransomware and cybercrime specifically and how it's impacting business. And I think the results of, like, I see that regulation as an information gathering regulation, right? They're trying to figure out how big is this problem and what's the nature of it. And to me, that is the first step to proposing new regulations to deal with the information they learned from this one. So as they get more information about hacks and cybersecurity incidents, I would expect to start to see much more regulation on cybersecurity uh, and how data is managed and stored um, and that of your vendors as well, because I think it's, a, it's an easier attack vector. If you can't get through you know, the, the lender, for example, if you're a mortgage company uh, or a mortgage lender, if they can't get through to you, maybe they can get through you or one of your vendors themselves. Um, and because this industry relies on a lot of vendors basically get through the day to keep the doors open and the business is running. And so I see that, uh, that regulation that's, I think, I think, I think it's finished the public comment period. So I'm not exactly sure when it's going to be pushed out officially. Um, but as soon as that one comes out and we start to see information or they start to get information about that, I would expect to see new regulations uh, come and flow from that. Mm -hmm. uh, that are gonna be starting to take you down that path where cybersecurity is gonna become a much more important part of vendor management. And Amy, let me add to that uh, another regulation that um, guests pointed out that I think um, has a lot of ramifications is the notice requirement. Oh, yeah. Um, what, some of the ramifications um, of that started back uh, when the Equifax hack occurred. And the ramification that comes to mind the most is insurance. Um, no one knows the exact number, but it is speculated that Equifax cybersecurity uh, insurance has gone, cost now has gone through the roof for that uh, company uh, by that insurer. And now with the notice regulations coming out, um, now your insurer is definitely going to know. And the insurance companies are starting to uh, ask for a lot more information uh, at time of renewal because of many recent and very publicized hacks. And they're also going to ask for information, of course, um, related to your internal audits, your external audits. Uh, they're asking about what are you doing internally to be preventative 
in nature and not uh, reactive because the data, the information, the strategy, your internal programming is now having a more of a dramatic impact on the pricing when it comes to your cyber-related uh, insurance. And even to a point where some of the insurers are packaging a lot more coverage. Uh, and the only way for you to mitigate the cost of those required packages that they're offering is to be able to demonstrate, document, and show the preventative approaches, strategies, services, products, stack that you have in, in place. So don't th this preventative uh, risk management for your vendors, uh, you can take that to the C-suite and say, th these actions are actually saving us money uh, down the line, especially in the department of um, our insurance costs. Excellent, thank you, Brent. Uh, we'll do one last question here. Um, what vendor management software does VentureLink utilize? Yeah, I'll take that one. So we're intentionally system agnostic, meaning, uh, again, as I stated earlier, we're not a software as a service provider. We are a team of consultants and vendor risk management experts that come in to kind of help build a framework around your existing practices and point your boat in the right direction, so to speak. So we don't have a particular system of record that we work out of. We have a few tools that we use and we're happy to implement certain things if you don't have a system or you need some way to securely secure documents uh, and other data that's being passed back and forth between the work we're doing and, and your team. But we're intentionally system agnostic because we don't want to impose a system upon our clients that they may not be comfortable with or, or force them to, to switch out of an existing framework that they don't need to in order to engage with us. So uh, we don't have any marriage to a third-party technology suite. Gotcha. Thank you, David. Any last questions from our attendees today? Uh, looks like that is about it. Well, thank you very much, Michael and David and Brent. Um, awesome information. And, you know, coming from an operations background, I fully know how many vendors <laughs> that we um, utilize just in my small little realm. So um, this is, we're very, very happy to have you as part of our network. And um, for those of you that are still on the call, please take advantage of their offer. I will send it out again tomorrow with the link to this call, the presentation deck. And um, if you want to listen to the podcast version as well, um, but take advantage, reach out to David for that offer and um, give these guys some uh, of your time. So with that, um, I will say goodbye and good afternoon. And I hope everybody has a wonderful evening and thanks for attending today. Appreciate you logging on to our TMC Connect sessions. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.